Hey, Teresa. Hey, Sam. How's your week been? It's been pretty chill. Classic Zoom university shit. Most of the time I'm in my room, in my house, doing schoolwork. Um, <laughs> but recently I finally got to watch the season finale of I May Destroy You which has been literally my favorite show for like the summer. And basically it just took me a while to get around to the finale because I had to make like three HBO Max free trials to pace myself. So I've gone through like three different emails and I was holding out this last email to watch the finale. Yeah, that sounds, I still haven't seen the show, but I know that I absolutely need to get on that. No, dude, you would love it. You would love it. It's just so hip and cool and well done and so well written. Yeah. It's just like if someone our age who was like woke and like actually cool was also a freaking genius. <laughs> <laughs> heard, you know, like it's so hard to get all of those things. I've heard the soundtrack too is just like wild. The soundtrack is phenomenal. Oh my God. You... Okay, well, I understand that there's some barrier because I personally obviously don't have HBO Max. So most people I know like haven't haven't seen I May Destroy You. And it's so awkward because I do that thing and I'm like, oh, like, have you watched I May Destroy You? And it's like, no. But after they say no, they don't really care. You know what I mean? So, but every time I still have to ask just in case I get to have a conversation with someone about it. But so far, that hasn't happened. But I will keep trying. Don't you worry. I'll keep trying. I mean, I feel like it's a great show to be plugging. Um, I, yeah, I've heard only good things. So um, once I get HBO Max, I guess I'll watch it. Get yourself a free trial. Get yourself a free trial. <laughs> Wait, did you watch it all in your free trial? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Is that, like, I just be, oh, my God, it's so funny. I just switch off my name. So when I canceled the subscription, it says, hey, whoa, whoa, Trey. You're admitting to uh, fraud live on air. Are you sure? <laughs> you sure you want to proceed with this conversation? HBO Max, if you want it to be more accessible, you would. And so I don't feel bad about it. I don't. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's really funny seeing the emails after I cancel because I use different names. So they're like, hey, Trey. Hey, TZ. <laughs> <laughs> hey Teresa, sad to see you go. I'm like, who's Trey? And I was like, oh, that's me. That's me. <laughs> that's hilarious. So, anyways, super excited for today's episode. Um, on today's episode, me and Sam will be interviewing the interdisciplinary artist More Mother over a cup of root beer. Perfect. Let's get into it. Today, our drink is root beer, and me and Teresa went for a couple of different brands. So I got mine from the deli, and it is, I've never had it before, but it's a Boylan Bottling Co. root beer company. Um, it was really good. Probably the best root beer I've had, like, ever. I honestly don't consume very much root beer, but definitely better than... Um, <laughs> the basic brands yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah it went well it went well with my sandwich so that's all that matters 
I have your typical basic brand A&W. Sorry, can't be as bougie as you, Sam. I don't know. I like never, ever drink root beer. It's such a strange drink. Like, I can't imagine someone like being at a restaurant and ordering root beer out of all things. I feel like it's like ginger ale, ginger beer. Like they all kind of sit in the same wavelength to me. No, root beer is on a different, different dimension. I feel like the only time I've ever consumed root beer is like with root beer floats. I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of like root beer candies and root beer floats. I never like root beer floats because the root beer loses the fit and it just becomes like melting ice cream and sitting in like. Yeah, it's kind of nasty. Yeah. Big root beer float fans scare me a little bit. No, true. That's kind of a red flag. If someone's like, (laughs) I love root beer floats homeschooled (laughs) every day they come home and make themselves a root beer float (gasps) oh my god imagine if that was your treat like treat yourself actually like i can't eat on that that's kind of sick because it's like different you know but i also feel like you were probably born in like 19 like 40 (laughs) i feel like if i wasn't introduced to root beer when i was young and just tried it for the first time at age like 20 i would be like shook It's just so random. Like, I could go my whole life without knowing about root beer or caring about it, and my life wouldn't be any different. Mm, I feel like root beer is, like, that classic drink where, as a kid, you drink it and get that, like, massive sugar high and are just, like, fucking bouncing for, like, two hours. And your parents are like, what is going on? No, true. Root beer is the obvious sugar high. Like, you can taste the inhalate. You're, like, inhaling sugar. Yeah. But at the same time, it's also, like, good. Like, I don't think... It's not one of those bad kids' drinks. It's just, like, something that I feel like most people stop drinking at some point. After age 10. (laughs) Yeah, but then they come back, circle back around. Because, like, this 10-year-olds aren't drinking um, boiling, bottling company. (laughs) (laughs) Get on my level. Wait, whenever companies are established this long ago, like, during damn near slavery, it always kind of scares me. Yo! (laughs) 1891. How were they, yeah, how were they making their root beer back then? Yeah. <laughs> so enough about root beer. We are so excited to have on an incredible artist today. We will be hosting the multidisciplinary artist, More Mother, who has just been on an absolute tear this year. She's released solo projects. She's released multiple collaboration projects. Genres range from ambient to field recordings to punk to free jazz. Just everything that she's been doing this year has been really cool. It's been hard to keep up with, but she's preparing to release a new album on September 25th. So look out for that. We'll be talking to her about her new album as well as the different projects she's released this year. Teresa, I know that you haven't had a ton of experience with More Mother, but how has it been being introduced to some of her work? Yeah, so I think what really struck me about More Mother is just really her like interdisciplinary work. I feel like it's so, so cool that she does visual stuff as well as poetry and music. And you can just tell when she's performing how much of herself she's putting into the work in all facets of her discipline and it's just 
it's just amazing to see because I feel like it's so hard to to be an interdisciplinary artist and then also have so many people understand and be touched by your work, you know. But we are super excited to have her on the program. She just has so much work that has been released this year to talk about. So hopefully we'll get through some of it. And definitely, definitely go check out her music. You can find it most readily on Bandcamp. And um, there's just a treasure trove of albums from this year to dig into. Um, So we're going to call her up right now. Hi, so sorry. You know, I just got to emails and it was... (laughs) Oh, no, it is all good. No, no you're totally fine. How are you? I just wanna, I'm okay. Just want to find my little pods. For sure. <laughs> but um, I could hear you clearly. I'm doing okay. Just working, you know. We're both huge mm-hmm. fans and really, really respect a lot of your work. Yeah, no, we're <laughs> very excited. Um, but I wanted to start with the question... I saw you tweeting a bit about the um, NBA playoffs. Uh, I'm assuming you're a Philly fan. Like, how are you feeling about everything with the team? Well, I mean, I'm not really a Philly fan. I cheer for them because I live in the city. And Mm -hmm. I'm I'm really an underdog kind of person. I'll cheer for anyone that's an underdog. But my team or my player is LeBron James. Hmm. So wherever LeBron James will go, he can go to freaking the Hawaiian fucking <laughs> whatever team. That's my new team. I don't care about the NBA. Like, I like this player a lot, you know? No, I, I understand that. Yeah. But I watch all the games, you know? It was definitely heartbreaking for Philly. But I didn't never like that coach. I've been saying for years, get rid of this coach. And finally, he's gone. Yeah, Brett Brown needs to get – I'm happy he got it. He's too slow. He's too slow. The, our Philly team is fast, you know? Like, Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I'm a big Bucks fan, so this last, like, couple oh. of been hard. Wow. How'd yeah. you feel? It's – um, my heart is slowly getting, like, broken. <laughs> oh, my but. goodness. A Bucks <laughs> fan. What? Why do you like the Bucks? Um, so Jabari Parker was like from around my neighborhood and yeah. when he went to the Bucks, I became a fan then. And then ever since then, they just got good, which has been awesome. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. That's cool. Um, so <laughs> I don't watch sports, LOL. <laughs> okay. So, but, but I am from Philly. So staying on the theme of Philadelphia, <laughs> um, so like being in the city, how has Philadelphia, like, as a community, informed your art and work? Well, I guess the first shows that I was going to in Philadelphia that was inspiring was a show called Black Lily. And it was at this place called The Five Spot that's no longer around. It actually caught fire. Yeah, and I was, um, I went to all of these things, you know. I saw The Roots. I saw Jaguar Wright. I saw Flowetry's first appearance in Philadelphia. The Jazzy Fat Nasties, 37,009, was one of the best bands that would play there. So that was the first thing, I guess, that I got inspired by from Philly. Then um, when I started making music, I had to, it was definitely different than what they were playing at the five spot, which is the birth of what we call Neo Soul. 
right? So I'm not a singer, but I did perform because they had an open mic at the five spot at Black Lily and I did perform, you know, rapping. But uh, when I started doing my own music, I had to create community for myself because there was nothing around that was anything similar to what I was doing with my group, The Mighty Paradox, or at that time it was called The Docs. Yeah, so I created this uh, with my partner, uh, Rebecca Rowe. We created a monthly series called Rockers. After that, out of that, I created a festival, a weekend festival for five years called Rockers Barbecue Weekend. So in over a decade, I was able to, you know, cultivate this community of genre-defying artists and listeners of not just one certain type of genre. There was no place to find this in Philadelphia until I started Rockers um, and then just snowballed from there. I feel like it's really interesting because a lot of the people we interviewed are very much in the like underground New York rap scene. Um, okay. And I thought it was dope that a lot of the work you do highlights Philadelphia. Definitely, yeah. I mean, only in my later life did I start getting commissions to do bigger projects in New York. Mm -hmm. um, I actually received a grant, me and my partner in Black Quantum Futurism, we received a grant to open up a community space here in Philadelphia about four years ago. So yeah, definitely base, but definitely have standings and good relationships with New York, you know, for sure. Yeah, and talking about that notion earlier of kind of genre-defying, just listening to your output this year as a fan, it seems like there's been so many new projects and that all of them have such different genre constraints that they fit into, like between more jewelry and irreversible entanglements to the solo work. And I was wondering, how do you organize your time around that? Like, do you pick one portion of time to devote to an album or do you kind of flow through all the projects that you're working on? It just depends, but I usually multitask or whatever. For instance, a couple of days ago, or even now, I guess, but I finished one of the tracks. I was working on seven tracks at a time. So I just do one track, do the best I can. It's usually, do I, did I fail or did I succeed? If I succeed, the track's done. If I failed, I did as much work as I can do, then I move on to the next track, and then the next track, and then the next track. Just trying to knock it out, you know? Yesterday, I was like, oh, only one track done. Bad studio day, you know? But I gotta be a little more nicer to myself, you know? But if we're gonna talk astrology, my moon's in uh, Virgo, so I'm very <laughs> hard on myself, you know? Mm. Very hard on myself. Yeah, I like, to, I like to get things done. Can you talk about what it means? You just said succeed and fail in terms of making a track. What does it mean to succeed versus fail? Just if it's not completed. Mm. You know, I like, because I get, spo I, you get spoiled. And I don't, I use these terms success and failure loosely for myself, you know, not to put this on anyone else because, of course, they're false words. We talk in Black Planet Futurism, we talk about word magic all the time, you know. So it's definitely some weird spell dealing with success and failure. But in my own studio world that I'm letting you inside of right now, you know what I mean? 
that's how I view it. If I get something done, that's good. If I'm still working on it, it's just another ball and chain till I could figure it out. Also ball and chain very loosely. <laughs> just putting good pressure on myself, you know? So sometimes you have to use these kind of words, but not become dependent on them for your own emotional output. How has this, like being in quarantine, changed your approach to writing or your creative process or have you like found time to work on more tracks or less inspiration or oh well that's all i can do is work on tracks it's all i can do is make music i don't know what there's nothing else for me to do i haven't been home this much in years it's not that big of a deal but i travel every month out of the country so it's been kind of hard knowing like Right now, for instance, I would be in Marseille, probably jumping off a cliff into some water. That's okay. You know what I mean? Like, that sounds so nice. <laughs> that, that could happen another time, you know? Um, so just thinking like that, but it's whatever. Touring, you tour some other time. That's just a, a small part of the work as a musician. So it's okay to like sit home and, you know, try to make songs or try to make sonic outputs to, you know, add some sort of healing to the world. I'm into that. But, you know, I I still have so much work to do. The work hasn't stopped, you know. It's just that I'm not leaving the country right now. I'd love to talk a little bit about who sent you. Um, I know especially yeah. the title track from that album really hit me and was a total trip. And I feel like it's the type of album that you really need to sit with and kind of absorb. And I've been taking some time to do that. But what has it been oh, like? Cool. What has it been like working with a band during quarantine? Um, and has it changed how you guys like interact or work together? Well, we don't rehearse. We come together with everything that we have. You know, we have an understanding, a shared, a shared interest, a shared love. So when we get in the studio, like to make that record. We just go into the studio and play. And it's so funny about that title track because that title track was supposed to be on our first record. Mm. Not that particular recording of it. We recorded it. That was the first poem I wrote for the band. Really? So, and that's the reason why we even got together because it was this, we were playing at Musicians Against Pol Police Brutality in New York actually at a great place called The Silent Barn that's no longer around that really gave me, um, as a solo artist, a shot to play in New York all the time, you know. That's why I would have my album release parties there and stuff out of, you know, the respect and love for that venue and the people that organized it. Yeah, so it, the piece is about a man named Akai Gurley who was shot down in his neighborhood. So we, no one liked the piece at first. No one liked it. So I don't even know if I'm allowed to say that. Maybe they liked it, but it didn't come off as, as good as it could be, you know? So in the other songs were, you know, we have a voting system, you know? So the other songs got more votes to be on the record. So we're in the studio and I told the guys, hey, we're doing this. Okay, we're doing this track. And we do it live, you know, in so many different ways. Cause like I said, we just play. So I knew it was gonna go crazy because it was just so much time. And still, it wasn't promised that it would make it. But 
I'm very proud that I was able to share that record form, that poem. I think it, you know, it was the, our first footsteps, you know? Yeah, that's incredible that you guys don't rehearse and that it all comes together so cleanly. I mean, that's kind of my style, but rehearsing, I do rehearse if I have to, you know? Yeah. <laughs> when, you know, where it's like, we need rehearsal. I'm like, okay. <laughs> you know, I had uh, just recently this album that's coming out this month. I wrote my first play, a free jazz musical. The people from the, you know, theater department was like, you're not going to practice and practice and practice and practice. And I'm like, what are you talking about? You know what I mean? Like, we got it, you know? But everyone's like, but usually in a theater with a play, you rehearse and it rehearse like this. And I was starting to feel a little nervous because I was like, oh, well, I'm not doing any of that. And I'm not going to do any of that. We rehearse maybe once a day or something like that. Mm. And, and then it came out amazing. Awesome. You know, even the first show, they were like, oh, that was amazing. I was like, yeah. <laughs> like, we, like, we have it inside of us. It's not mm -hmm. something that we have to, like, keep practicing it to get it. No, we got it. It's just about lights and stuff like that that needs to be worked out. Yeah, and um, I, we'd love to talk about your upcoming album. And I was wondering, are Forever Industries, like, A and B, in change on the new album, or is that something completely different? Oh, no. That was just something completely different. I mean, that could have been any two songs. Huh. You know, it was just about what songs do I have that's free that's not going to go on this other album I'm making. Awesome. So then could you tell us a bit about the new album? Like, what can we expect from it? And what do you love about it? I love about it that it's good. All the pressure. I had to produce, I had to do everything for this play that usually theater people have a whole bunch of stuff people to do, you know, like so much hard work. I mean, I probably even cried. I have to ask my partner, but I'm sure I cried. You know, it was hard. I said, I'd never want to do this again. It was tough. I had, I don't even, can't even count how many people, like 10 people to get homes for in Philly and transportation and food and, you know, like, it's so much work. So to deal with all of that and have it still be good. And also we did four shows, right? All mm -hmm. shows were supposed to be recorded and only one show got recorded. And that's what the album is, you know? So it wasn't even like the best night. It's just all of this craziness stuff that happened, but it came out so amazing. Like when I listened to it, I couldn't even sit down. You know, like I could not sit down. I was so overwhelmed with how powerful it was. It just literally rocked me, you know? So I'm excited for people to be rocked by something I'm rocked with. It's, and it's about housing. It's about the future of housing and technology. So of course, always perfect timing because we have been forever in a housing crisis, you know? Oh, I mean, I, it's just so freaking good. I don't even know what to say, you know? Like, I don't even know what to freaking say. 
and I just recently shot a video for the, for the single or the lead track or whatever. And I just can't even deal. And I, I mean, I'll send you a, you want to see a clip of it? You want to see, I'll send you some things. Of okay. Course. We'd love to see it. I'll send you, I'll send you some things, but I do everything within my own neighborhood. All my videos, anything is right where I live All my recording, you know? So like, I think that, you know, that adds to place and space of the energy so the energy doesn't kind of waver you know what I mean it's like I don't know it, it, it's just this kind of thing like you're a maker but you don't really you just make and then what happens you, you're not really responsible for unless I mean of course on the sound vibration that you send out in the world you're responsible for that but this thing is so organic it's just so organic and um real and i think this kind of uh you don't get these kind of feelings anymore with music that's not like folk or like juke joint blues that's that's when that's when something's real but how can we make use these sounds to make it feel real that is pumping through the hearts of everyone you know what i mean not just a singular group and i feel like this record does that you cannot deny the real factor of it. I threw bad with excitement, but I'm really excited about it. And I think that is, it's a powerful thing that will have a good impact. And I'm trying to do the best in my way of sending it out to different housing coalitions and, you know, around here. So maybe they could also use it as a talking point or as anything for their continual fight against housing injustice. Definitely that's the most important thing about doing the play to where to make more awareness on um, housing injustice. But it just so happens that, you know, the music is really good. Yeah, that sounds for- amazing. Super yeah. exciting. I've often seen that you've described using sound as a tool of resistance and so just like from a personal experience perspective when was the first time that you realized you could use sound to be a tool of impact and resistance well the first really like when you kind of step into your power time you know what i mean because i do experiments forever you know you understand how sound can make a baby feel or an animal feel or whatever You know, you understand that there is a power in sound. But I did my first durational performance for uh, 14 hours at the Vox Populi here in Philadelphia. And um, it was a duration, durational sound for, to combat, you know, um, domestic violence and sexual assault on a non-local sentiment, meaning I learned all these statistics, every nine seconds this, every few minutes this. Women and uh, trans and non-binary folks are being attacked on the regular. So I said, what can I do as a sound person to combat this? So I put together in my head this whole idea of how I would push the sound to not only be an act of protection, like a, 
a sound protection over everyone who experienced sexual assault and domestic violence, but also use that sound as a source of power, a source of stepping into one's own, because sometimes you can be defeated before you even go outside due to all the things that happen to you on a daily. So it was that strength to say, okay, I'm going to go outside in whatever I'm wearing and hopes that that walk to the store will be safe. And once I did this performance, and it was hard, I don't know if you know Vox Populi, but there's three, three or four flights of steps. So I basically took my whole home studio, because it was going to be 14 hours, I needed to play every single thing I could imagine, you know? I had to carry it all up by myself because I, my partner was at work. I didn't have any help. So it's this kind of, I feel like that's when it started. This is my idea. This is my equipment. I have to bring it up to this empty studio that I'm not, I only had open hours, maybe like two hours that were open for people to come and pay respects or whatever people wanted to do. But it wasn't about it being a performance to be live streamed or something. It was something that I was doing. Right. So, um, yes. Yeah, so I, so the performance started as I'm even carrying my instruments up and then to realize I have to carry everything back down, you know, and I got home and I was at the end of the 14 hours, I don't know, sometime late at night to write a message on the social networks to say, thank you to the people, you know, that came, people were bringing me bread and drugs. And I was like, hey, I don't do drugs, you know, but it's <laughs> nice to have, it's nice to see it there that if I freak out or something, I can calm down or something, you know what I mean? So I just was really appreciative of that. But I just couldn't even do the message. I just cried so much. And it was such a release. All this, all this sadness. I had taken in so much sadness and so much pain and uncertainty while I was doing this performance that it just flooded. I mean, I was like a faucet, you know? And I was like, wow, this is really coming out of me. And then, whether it's the next morning, I wake up to these messages from people from all over saying, in this one particular message, I use this quote all the time when I'm talking about this, is that, said, I was able to, I walked to the store and no one commented on my body. And that's just like a rare thing for some women to even go outside or some trans people to even go outside and have someone not even comment on their body, whether it's so-called negative or positive. And I thought that was just amazing. And I received a lot of these messages from people saying like, wow, I had this moment, you know, of, of peace, you know, or that day was, I was able to move like this or I didn't, you know, so that really uh, was my proof that this really can go eliminate the boundaries of where sound is supposed to go and how healing works. So, um, yeah, that was my first experiment. And I've done... I've done many since then. Yeah, that's an incredible story. And kind of going along with the experience that you've done since then, I know that um, you have a couple workshops coming up with 
the black quantum futurism. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about what you're hoping to achieve with those workshops. Yes. So um, we started black quantum futurism. We started a time camp here in Philadelphia. So this is number four. So the first one we were allowed to be together in person. So we had an all day camp for adults or whoever wanted to sign up really where we had different classes and games and I did a sonic meditation where I had everyone lay down and relax while I played live sound with my partner mental jewelry at the first one he came um yeah I mean it's all about time and it's about how time is oppressive you know and not just that's the main idea but it's about bringing people from all over that are doing these works around time and around healing to put on an all day, you know, camp, you know, and have lunch and all this kind of, kind of cute kind of stuff. So this is number four. This one is going to be online. And also it's for uh, black women and yeah, non-binary folks. I'm doing a writing workshop, actually, which may change because I'm how I do things is I'm a feeler first. I feel what's needed and then work from there. You know, I don't like to impose things onto people kind of thing when I'm doing a workshop. So, um, yeah, and I mean, the lineup is better than it's ever been it's crazy we have some of the great minds from philadelphia from actually all over the world brazil these different connections that we were able to make on our travels and through the work that we put out so yeah time camp is just one of many projects from black quantum futurism but i'm so excited about it i'm excited to continue we've had people put on um, time camps under our advice and our conclusion in different places also. So it's, it's really uh, a wonderful time for people to really um, learn beyond the so-called tropes that everyone else is thinking about. It's kind of this idea of like, what are people not thinking about? And they call that like unpopular causes or whatever. But I mean, that was the thing with 14 hours, you know, I said, to me, domestic violence is very important. I don't even think there's anything that I can make that doesn't have some type of going back to that as an activism, like, that's important to me. But truth be told, it's an unpopular cause. No one really cares about domestic violence unless like a football player Beats, the, beats his wife or attacks somebody. So it's kind of these, even housing now is starting to be a little bit more popular because Trump said something and someone else has said something. But initially, no one cared about the living conditions of poor people. You know, I don't even think they even do still, but it's becoming a bit more popular. There's so many things to address sonically and music and you know these are just been the things that I've chosen and we talk about the oppression of time which is starting to become way popular everybody even banks are talking about the future 
that's why I feel like it, it was really important for me. You know, in all my work, I release poetry books. And there's one particular piece of mine that I think it really says a lot that it's like, we are not talking about the same future. So when people hop on bandwagons and not do the work of understanding physics and time and oppression, then they just sound like a bank. And it's kind of about, you know, are you a part of, are you caring about this because it's not popular or are you caring about this because you've looked at statistics, you know someone that's in a domestic violence situation or you know someone, you know, it's these kind of, um, how much, how much does a string go from your community to other communities? You know, mostly people just stay within their own group, whether that's the racial group, financial group, college group, whatever. So it was kind of breaking out of this, you know, popularity kind of thing. I don't even know if that answers the question. I forget questions all the time. You no. know? It went definitely. So, yeah. you know, I, I don't know. Um, yeah. For sure. <laughs> Going, like, often, you, you know, you talk about your different projects and things that you work on. And, like, how has being an interdisciplinary artist touching on all forms of art informed the way that you see the process of healing? I guess I mainly come from sound, right? That's my first thing I'm thinking about is the sound, right? And then I so happen to be, or happen to make this decision to be a poet, right? I always was doing poetry, but it wasn't until, you know, my heroes in poetry have passed away, my Angelou and Mary Baraka, so on and so on, that I decided that I would take it seriously. So I'm always thinking about the liberation technology. But then with the visual work I do and the poetry, that's just stuff that I do. You know what I mean? And then it's just about being more serious about it, you know, not keeping everything to myself, kind of thing like that. Making understanding, because I come from an education background. So that was, that was my thing, you know, working in education, teaching kids, that whole world. So the first thing that you learn when you, you're in school or college or university for this thing is that you have to make a complete learning environment for whoever you're teaching, right? So making an album is like setting up my classroom, you know? So not only do I have the music playing, but, oh, I'm a poet, so I might as well put some things on the wall so the kids can make better connections to artists, you know, all of these things. Oh, well, boom, put this thing, put this thing together, makes year. And it's still, it's still a lot of things that I don't even touch on. You know, I remember the questions from my first album in one song, I mentioned what happened to Emmett Till, and people were asking me in interviews, who's Emmett Till, you know? So I was like, oh, wow, yeah. I need to line it up Damn. a little bit more sometimes because I'm not just, it's just, you know, it's like, okay. So they come together, and it's all from me, and it's in the same lined up. Like, I don't really like to share my lyrics with people. 
only when I share them is letters from people saying, can I have the lyrics to this song? And then I write it out for them. I don't really like that kind of way. So while the, while the book and the art pieces are in a compliment to the record, it's not so literal. You get me? I'm touching on things in the book that I didn't get to touch on on the record. Or, you know, it's just kind of like, yeah, they're their own worlds, but they also come together in a bigger body of work. But it's not going to be a linear story that everyone wants. It's totally nonlinear, but it's all in the same, in the same ether world. You know what I mean? Meaning that it can go beef. I'm talking about the 1700s and talking about the 90s and another one. You know, like I'm jumping around. It's, it's not going to ever flow like this but it will all be in the same family. You know what I mean? In that kind of way. Once again, I don't know if I got your question right or whatever, but I hope that made sense. For sure. We just have a couple more questions. Um, But one thing that I was wondering is, you talk a lot about technology in all of your work, but especially with dial-up and, your newest or one of your newest projects, Klepsidra, where you yeah. you're talking about listening to the album without without a screen in front of you. Like what do you think we yeah. can do from putting down those screens? I love to figure out puzzles and problems and any you know, in my head, right? So everyone's always saying to me, just go look on Google. You know, and I'm like, I know I'm gonna do it, you know, but I like to first put it in my brain. Oh, I never know. It's like Google, you know, you're going to get an answer. I put it into my brain and think about it. I could get another idea. Mm. I could do, you don't know what's happening in here. You know, it's like so much freer and it's fun to me to figure out problems. Yeah. So that's why. And I mean, I'm one of those weird kids that I didn't have a computer growing up. You know what I mean? I literally got my computer like three years ago. I didn't have a telephone and, until after college. So I'm like, I don't even know how I was talking to anybody, to be honest. You know, <laughs> like there's a whole screen world that I have no idea about, to talk about, that a lot of my friends who grew up on message boards and all this can speak about. So, I mean, I said this with Dial Up. I was never thinking technology. We were thinking about connecting outside of wires of how to meet each other in our dreams, this kind of thing, you know, with using our own bodies, imagination. Like, are you kidding me? It's so cool. You give me anything and I'm going to go off in some weird place. So uh, fascinating world. People are having writer's block and I wanted to help them. You know, I was so was on some like little fake Twitter conversation where someone was like, poets are having a hard time. And I'm like, I'm not, you know, (laughs) and it was like, ah, you're lying. And I'm like, I'm literally not having a hard time. But I want to think about people that are having a hard time because poetry is important to me. So let's get rid of this writer's block. That's what I was thinking. The second experiment, when I, whenever I do the next one, it won't be about writer's block. Yeah. The last question. Okay. I know you said you're only halfway done. What else do, should people have to look out for the rest of the year from you? 
Well, Circuit Circuit City is the album that's coming out this um, month, right? That's gonna just be amazing. Then, oh, I don't know if I'm not allowed to be saying the rest of the things, but I got some other things that are coming. But I will give you one thing. Billy Woods and I are working on something. Hey, hey, that that will be a vinyl something. So, oh, Anthologia Two. I don't know if you see that Anthologia project that I did. Yeah, yeah, we heard the first. It was like right before dial up. Yeah, that was the one raising money. Yeah, so that's coming out. Yeah, so a second one's coming out. I just did something for the bug, Kevin Martin. Turned that in yesterday. I got a remix um, of actually from uh, Analog Fluids. I don't know if you remember, I released that last year. Yep, yep. In November. But I got a special remix coming from that that I'm so proud of. Uh, probably definitely something from Irreversible. And yeah, I believe, yeah, that's it. But I'm hitting you so hard coming soon um yeah i'm just gonna put out a lot of music so i hope you know and it's all gonna be different so just so you know none of it's gonna be the same but one thing that will be the same is that the more jewelry project yeah we're gonna do another um punk record that's definitely gonna and it's yeah. going to be better because um, we just made it up. That first one, we just made that up in mm-hmm. the studio. We didn't, nothing was written. We just was like, I was just yelling into the mic, strumming the guitar any way I wanted to. You know, nothing was written. This time it's going to be written. Really? So, album, so. yeah. If, yeah, if people thought it was political, this is going to be... The next one is going to be the most political punk record. Okay, so I don't care whoever is punk and they release something. It's not going to be as political as this next more jewelry record. Just to let you know, like, good night to punk. And you can quote (laughs) me on that. After this next more jewelry project, good night to punk. Yeah. So exciting. Thank you so much for taking Thank you. We really appreciate oh, thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Two Virgins. We hope you enjoyed getting to know more Mother and look out for her upcoming album and check her music out on Bandcamp. You can find this episode on our website, quarantinecontent.com, or on our weekly newsletter, The Q. See you next week. <laughs>